Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. He's enough. We find that satisfaction in Him, and nothing can be added or subtracted to who He is or what He's done. And when He proclaimed on the cross, it is finished, He meant exactly that. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And one day, every man, woman, and created being below the earth and above the earth are going to kneel and proclaim just that to the glory of the Father. Now Paul moves on to inform true believers of four awesome realities. And if you'd like to take notes, I encourage you to do so. Put roots down deeper. Study this later on, as Pastor Matt talked about. Four awesome realities for Christ followers. Here's reality number one. We are set apart for God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've been set apart for God. Verse 11, in him, Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his people. It represented that they were a people set apart to him for him and his purpose. Every obedient male Jewish baby boy was circumcised on the eighth day as a way of being identified and set apart for God's work and his calling. And when the nation would turn from God, there was a a spiritual uh, uh, circumcision as well. When the nation would turn away, and all you have to do is is go to the book of Judges and read how they would, uh, you know, a generation would follow Christ, but then the next generation wouldn't. And it was like a roller coaster ride for centuries. And and God would call them, uh, and he would say, circumcise your hearts. Signified, cut out this sin. Stop being disobedient to me. And then he would call them to return with a heart that was flesh and that was for him. It is this circumcision that happens when a person repents and chooses to be identified with Christ. And here's what it is. Uh, uh, to, here's how you come to Christ. You were going your direction and I was going my direction, but at some point, The Holy Spirit just, someone um, spoke a word to me. I had been in church. I knew kind of how it went. I knew what what Christians believed, but I never accepted Christ, made it from. I thought, hey, I must be grandfathered in. I mean, my parents are Christians. I must be. So I just believed that that's how it worked. And then one day, God brought me to my knees with a wave that I never saw coming, and it knocked me flat on my back. And what I sensed from him, he was saying, look, you're, gonna, you're not going to ride this fence anymore. Either get on the other side or you come with me, but this is not pleasing to me. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christ follower. And I knew it. I knew I was playing a game with him. I thought later in life I'd give him my life after, after I had all the fun I wanted to have in my, you know, racing motorcycles and pursuing other things. But God said, no. And in that moment, I just cried out. I knew I was a fraud, and I said, God, take my life. I don't want to go that direction anymore. I repented. Repentance means this, to to change direction. But it also means to change your mind about something. 
And I did both. I, I, I decided I wasn't going to pursue the world anymore. I decided that I, I was going to look at God differently, that I wanted him to be in charge of my life because I'd made a mess of it. And so I repented and I gave him my life. And that's what that looks like. A circumcision that began in my mind went to my heart and I gave him my heart. And if you haven't done that, you're not a Christian. If you think that coming to church is going to make you a Christian, it can, it can reveal the gospel to you, but there needs to be a, a moment of repentance in your life. I don't want anyone to get this wrong because becoming a Christian, I mean, you're, you're no more a Christian if you come to church than, than you're a car when you stand in a garage, we, we talked about a few weeks ago. To become a Christian means to repent and to give your life to Christ, it means to surrender to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He died and bled for your sin, and it can apply to you, but you have to reach out and accept that gift. So reality number one, we are set apart for God when we come to know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Here's reality number two. We are made alive in, in Jesus. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having given you all trespasses, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now see, when you're, when you're before we were, we were dead in our trespasses. We were in the cemetery of life. But when you come to Christ, he makes you alive again. And if you don't, you know, if we die before he comes back in the, you know, to rapture his home, if we die first, yeah, we go into the cemetery, but we go through the cemetery and right into his presence. Death is only a shadow to you and I. And that's a promise that he makes. It's the perfect picture of what we witness in baptism. We just had a, a tremendous baptism day where some 14 people were baptized. It's awesome to watch this happen. You know, a baptism has two meanings in the New Testament, a, a literal one where you're baptized in the water and uh, a spiritual meaning, uh, and a spiritual meaning which, like circumcision does, uh, one being of a physical cutting of the child outwardly, this cir circumcision, of course, and the other being a spiritual circumcision of the heart inwardly, the cutting away of, of, of our pride and our arrogance, wanting to follow Christ. We give him uh, our hearts. Same thing with baptism. One thing is um, one being the actual physical representation of something that's already taken place. Baptism cannot save you. It's just an outward sign of an inward reality that has already taken place. And then there's a spiritual representation, of course, of Jesus dying for our sins. That's being plunged under the water and, then, and being buried in a tomb of death and then being raised back to life in Christ. That's the significance of coming out of the water, your new creation. And the Greek word here used for um, baptism is baptismati, which literally translates to be immersed underwater or to be plunged underwater. And we see this numerous times in Scripture. And uh, every now and again, someone asks me and says, hey, I was sprinkled as a, as a baby. Does that count? And I respectfully, kindly, and with all love tell them it doesn't. You're not, if that's what you're determining your salvation, you, it, that, that wasn't a moment with Christ. 
Because as a baby, you can't make that decision. Your parents had, it made, made it, tried to make it for you, but you have to make it yourself. God has no grandchildren. He only has children that have chosen him. And so if that's the situation in your life, I, I would want to talk to you after, after church and explain this more. I talked with a couple um, six months ago, um, and, and over, over several conversations, uh, they realized that they needed to give their life to Christ. They needed to be baptized. And man, you ought to see their lives. It's like they've just come alive. It's an amazing, a beautiful thing to watch. There's two problems with this, with being uh, sprinkled as a baby. And, and I'm not trying to attack the church. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Uh, number one is uh, the baby's not able to make a decision for Christ. You know, what does an infant know? They can't, be, uh, they can't make a decision on their own. Your parents can dedicate you, and we're going to start doing that, by the way, in a few weeks. We're going to start dedicating families, families that want to dedicate their parenting uh, with their babies or with their children. Of course, we want to support that. What that's saying is the parents are saying, hey, I want, I, I'm going to raise my children in a godly manner. They're going to know who Jesus is. They're going to know uh, what the Bible has to say and how to live their lives. That's different. That's a baby dedication. Uh, number two, uh, uh, if you're going to be, if you're going to follow the word of God, then that word again means to be plunged under water. It doesn't mean to be uh, sprinkled with water. In any case, physical baptism, while not a requirement for salvation, is commanded uh, for us by the Lord Himself, who spoke, "Therefore, go make disciples, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." We're, we're told to do this. It's one of the commands that He's given us. But what Paul is referring to here in Colossians is the baptism of the Spirit, being dead in trespasses and sin and repenting of that sin and accepting the free gift that Jesus purchased for you and I on the cross. And it's wrapped up in his offer of salvation to the world. All of this took place for Christians when they believed. Verse 12, look down. Through faith in the working of God, who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. We're looking at four awesome realities for Christ followers. Reality number one, we are set apart in God. Number two, we're made alive. And here's number three, we are freed from the law. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, uh, what were those? Well, that's the law, and every time we broke it, he's wiped that out, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus nailed our sin to the cross, but he also nailed the law to the cross. Because now we live under grace. Now we live under mercy. Jesus purchased that when he died on the cross and came back to life. Listen to Paul in Romans 2 as he explains this. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, now remember, this, the, the law was given to the Jews, so how do we deal with the Gentiles? What are they facing? Well, uh, indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that, uh, that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. 
their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares, Paul says in Romans 2, 12 and 16. So ignorance of the law is no excuse. Even a Gentile knows right from wrong because God wrote that on his heart. We know that murder's wrong. We know that um, uh, sexual affairs and other things are wrong. We know that lying is wrong. A kid even knows that. A child at a very early age knows that. And, and all these other things because they're written on our heart. And one day, those that reject Christ will be judged on just that. But for Christians, we've been removed from judgment and guilt when Christ suffered on the cross, he died for our sin. I don't have any guilt. And if you're a Christ follower, neither do you. Paul again writes in Romans 7, 6, he wrote this, but now we have been delivered from the law. After Christ, he was talking about crucifixion, but now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, a.k.a. sin and the law, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You see, we're no longer bound by the law. We've been released uh, into grace. Romans 6.14 tells us, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Does this mean we go out and we sin? <laughs> Paul answered that, may it never be so. Absolutely not. We're free to obey God now out of love, and he's provided for us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to, um, and to teach us in all things. And if you've ever been tempted to do something that you know you shouldn't and that all of a sudden you become aware of that, that's the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that. Don't go there. That's the old Ben. Don't go there. You know, don't honk your horn, Ben, at that guy in front of you. Just, you know, chew on the word or, you know, turn up your worship music a little louder. Don't do that. Or do this. Hey, the neighbor's sick, really sick. Why don't you take him something? Why don't you let him know that God loves him? You know, the Holy Spirit will teach us in all things as we move forward. Reading our Bibles, he's going to, to be, to, we're going to be able to obey the Lord because we want to, because we love him so much going forward. It's like we get to obey, not we have to obey. We're free to live in obedience, and, and in return, we're blessed with God's love, grace, and mercy as we travel all the way home to heaven. So we're looking at four awesome realities for Christ followers. Uh, we are set apart for God. We are made alive in Jesus. We are freed from the law. And here's number four Paul talks about. We are victors over Satan. Isn't that good news? We're victors over Satan. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, as Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary, when, and when, when they buried his dead corpse in the grave, no doubt Satan and his minions thought they'd pulled off the greatest upset in mankind. Jesus pulled it off. It's the greatest comeback that mankind can ever know, and it's the, the greatest comeback that you can ever experience in this life. Giving your life to Christ is the greatest 
come back. When you get to heaven, if you've given your life to Christ, when you get to heaven, and, and, and in that moment, if there's a moment that we get to look back on earth, we'll realize that that decision alone was the number one most important decision any man or woman can ever make in life. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our life, that's all that will matter to any of us here. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Say it with me. Jesus is alive. It's important to know that we serve a Savior, a living Savior. Now, I love a guy named, uh, he's a professor, was a professor out of Dallas the, uh, Theological Seminary. I loved him. Uh, Warren Wiersbe. Got to hear him preach um, once before he died. It was like going to the Super Bowl. This guy was just so unbelievable. I just love his writings, read his books. He's one of my heroes. And he wrote that there were three great victories on the cross. First, Jesus disarmed Satan and his army on the cross. He took whatever weapons he held or uh, that Satan uh, uh, had at his disposal, that, that he took those weapons away from him. Listen, and this is a quote, Satan cannot harm the believer who will not harm himself or herself. That's too important to miss. Satan cannot harm the believer who will not harm themselves. Somebody in here needs to hear that because what we're tempted to do is go back into our past. Satan, that's, you know, that's all he's got is, oh, yeah, 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 yeah you're, you're, you're a pastor now. Okay. And, and you planted a church. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If they only knew what you were like 24 years ago. Oh, things would be different. Do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you said this? And, and if we let him, he'll beat us up with our past. Don't let him. Stop that. You're a new creation. You need to walk forward in the newness of life he, that he's provided for you. Satan can't harm you unless you'll let him and go along with him. Here's the second victory that Jesus won on the cross. Jesus exposed Satan's true self. When Jesus was on the cross, we see Satan's true motives for world domination and destruction of humankind. But through his death and resurrection and ascension, Christ vindicated God and destroyed the power that Satan had. Remember, Satan had rebelled in heaven. Well, when Jesus came out of that grave, <laughs> uh, well, all was vindicated. In essence, the devil is living on borrowed time. His fate is forever sealed. And listen, he can't change your eternal address once you come to Christ, but he can mess with your testimony if you let him. Don't let him. Here's the third victory Jesus won on the cross. Jesus won a complete triumph, complete and total. When a Roman general would come back from a great victory uh, in another country, he, you know, of course, Rome was expanding their territories uh, from 300 um, B.C. Uh, all the way through somewhere 250 to 380, I think it was. They, I mean, there's centuries. And so when, a, when one of the great generals, um, Hayden or, or, or any of the others, came home, from you know, conquering these great lands and plundering their wealth and, and bringing captives home with them, servants, to make them servants. 
um, they would receive this, what's called the Roman Triumphal Parade. That's what Rome called it. The general was coming, and, and they put into plans that when he came in to Rome, there'd be great pomp and circumstances for his victory. He had conquered. He had triumphed over all their enemies. Paul alludes to this uh, Roman triumphal parade over in 2 Corinthians 2. I don't have time to go there. But when Jesus won the greatest victory that will ever be won, he was greeted in heaven with much pomp and circumstance. Listen to Ephesians 4.8, which gives us a glimpse to it. Therefore he says, the Lord says, when he ascended on high, Jesus, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Who was captivity? Well, that's Satan and his minions. He led them into captivity. He had conquered. He had, he had won a great victory, the greatest victory that mankind will ever know. And he gave gifts to men. Isn't that interesting? In our secular Roman, it's the general that got the gifts. But in heaven, it's turned right side up, and the general, our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave gifts to men. What gift? He gave the greatest gift that anyone can ever know. We just talked about it, salvation. And, and that gift is made available to you right now, today. The moment that you die, the gift is off the table. I need to tell you, there is no remedy for the one that goes into the afterlife without Christ. There is no remedy. You choose now to accept that gift while it's still available. So he gave gifts to men. At that moment, Jesus humiliated Satan by, uh, by taking him and his de uh, demons into captivity. Um, the very one that sought to imprison God's greatest creation, mankind, made in his image. No other part of creation is made in God's image. We're made in God's image. He wanted to uh, imprison us. And what happened, The table. Jesus turned the tables right side up. And Satan himself now and his uh, demons are forever um, going to be taken into captivity. So what does that mean to us? Well, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, it means that Satan can't touch you. We talked about that unless you let him. Um, your eternal life is sealed. You are a child of God with the most valuable inheritance that any man or woman can ever know. We talked about this several weeks ago back in Colossians 1 when we were talking about uh, the inheritance, um, the riches of God that he pours out to those that, that come into relationship with him. Um, so I won't, I won't belabor that, but... We get the riches of God, not just in the afterlife. We're talking right now. You can have a relationship with him. You can walk with him. You can know why you're, you were created. Every man's number one question is, why am I here? What's my purpose? Well, God provides that purpose when you come to him. The question in today is, have you repented of your sins, and have you given him your life? No more riding the fence, as they say. Give your life to Christ today so that you know that you know where you're going should you leave this world tonight or tomorrow or should the trumpet blast, you won't be left behind. You'll be forever with Jesus Christ in heaven and in relationship with God. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for these promises. It brings hope in a world that has lost hope. It brings hope to a people that... Um, need hope so desperately in this world that seems to be falling apart. It's all falling into place. 
You do not wring your hands in heaven worrying. This is all part of your plan. And so, Lord, we submit to you. And we know that you have a good plan. And, Lord, we know what your plan is for us. Our plan is to come and surrender our lives to you, to give you what's left of our life so that you may use it to glorify yourself and to give us a purpose. And that purpose, after we become Christians, Lord, is to go out and preach and share the gospel with everyone we come into contact with that doesn't know you yet. Thank you for that opportunity. You could have used angels or another way, but you chose us to do that, to share the gospel with others. Help us to be about your business. When you return, may you find us faithful. And Father, I pray for that person or people in here that need Christ. And even now they're struggling with the decision. I pray, Lord, today would be the day of their salvation, that they would come into relationship with you and discover the riches of heaven that are innumerable. And Lord, I pray for that person too that that may have walked away years ago, decades ago, the prodigal. Father, may they turn and come back to you. And in so doing, they will find that you are a loving God and that your arms are open wide. No condemnation, only welcome back, child. We thank you, Lord, for your word that, that teaches us, gives us hope, and gives us the defense we need against the enemy's schemes here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.